0: Hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word from Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to the Shaginoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, his rays flashed from his hands, and they there veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth, he looked and shook the nations, then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low, his were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath... "'Against the rivers, O Lord, was your anger against the rivers "'or your indignation against the sea "'when you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? "'You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. "'You split the earth with rivers. "'The mountains saw you and writhed. "'The raging waters swept on. "'The deep gave forth its voice. "'It lifted up its hands on high. "'The sun and moon stood still in their place.'" at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble before me or beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree great news that our victory is sure in your son Jesus Christ. We pray that this morning that you would help us to hear that clearly as we open up your word, as we sit under the preached word of God. Would you be with my lips and with my heart? Would you be with our minds and our hearts as we receive your word? May you be glorified in feeding us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The exodus from Egypt was perhaps one of the most pivotal events in Israel's history. God's people cried out to the Lord in the midst of their oppression, and God heard them, and he sent Moses. God poured out his plagues upon Egypt, and Moses led God's people out of slavery. And the greatest, or most complete act of judgment was when God swallowed up the armies of Pharaoh by the waters of the sea. And Exodus chapter 15, recounts for us how God's people responded to this act of deliverance. They sang a song, a song of victory for their deliverance. It says, Then Moses... And the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt in him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. What we have here in Habakkuk chapter 3, this last chapter of the, of the book of Habakkuk, is a song of victory. The prophet himself pens a psalm or a song recounting the wondrous works of our God. He looks back, actually, to the Exodus and the amazing work of deliverance that the Lord worked through Moses. In, in Egypt. And he uses that as confidence to rest upon what God has declared he will do in the midst of uh, the wicked nation of Babylon. God has promised that he would deliver his people, he would bring an end to that wickedness. And in this song, Habakkuk delights in that, remembers it, and trusts in that. He recounts the works of the past So that he can rest in the hope of salvation. And he does it by way of a song. And beloved, you and I ought to have a similar song of victory. Our God has made great promises and showed us great things. And that's what we need to hear today is that we must sing songs of victory for Christ comes for the salvation of his people. Now we'll look at this song in three major chunks, we will see the, the renown of the Lord in verses 2 through, let's say, 15. And then we'll see the response of the prophet in verse 16, and we will end with our rest in the coming deliverance of our God in 17 through 19. So uh, the prophet begins by um, the declaring the renown or the work of the Lord of what has come in the past. And he begins with a preface and a plea. He says in verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. He knows what God has done. The song of victory that was declared from the times of Moses and on was recounted again and again in the Psalms. And it has come to Habakkuk's ear and into his heart. And then he offers a plea. He says, in the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. He says, Lord, I know this song, the song of your victory. Play that song again, please. You've promised victory. Work that victory. Be faithful. And in the midst of it, he says, he says your work I, I fear. And then he says, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. He knows that the Lord will come in wrath, in anger in indignation. He says, Lord, as you come to defeat this the wicked, please remember mercy to your people, as you promised. Remember mercy. Don't let us be swept up with the wicked. Be merciful to us. And then he recounts the work of the Lord, and he, he speaks of the arrival of the Lord, the appearance of the Lord, the anger of the Lord, and then the actions of of the Lord, he speaks of the Lord arriving from the east. God, verse three: God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Teman was in Edom; Edom was east of Israel, and Mount Paran is another name for Mount Sinai. Uh, the, Mount Sinai had different names that they called it by, and so the prophet envisions, as the Israelites would have done, the Lord arising from the east and coming to deliver his people. Uh, Egypt is to the southwest so they see him rising from the east and coming to deliver his people and when he's come when he comes his appearance is resplendent majestic brilliant it says verse 3 his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise his brightness Was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. Ordinarily, God was veiled, hidden by darkness. You might remember the top of Mount Sinai, the the darkness which concealed the clouds, the thunder, the lightning, which concealed the Lord. But here it says that the light there he veiled his power. In the light is so brilliant, like staring at the sun, you couldn't see. The Lord and his power behind his brightness. And he comes, as he comes, he's got um, an entourage. Verse 5, it says, Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. Warriors would march and they would have attendants, usually like a shield bearer in front of them or a, uh, some kind of a servant. And a servant in in the rear following him as an entourage and you might remember that in the work that God did in Egypt he afflicted them with plagues and pestilence as he delivered his people and here those things are described as his servants his attendants that he's bringing on this victory tour and it's his appearance is so magnificent his power is so great that the earth itself responds. It says, verse 6, He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. And then the eternal mountains were scattered and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Because if you have ever seen any of the mountains that are on this planet, the mighty Rockies or the Alps in Europe or pictures of the Himalayas. Imagine those mighty eternal mountains, as it says, being brought low, stooping in humility before the God of, the, of creation coming, stooping so that his snow-capped and eternal ways might be seen from shore to shore throughout all the earth that his were the everlasting ways. And as he comes, he is coming in anger, not in meekness or gentleness, but in anger, so much so that the prophet wonders, are you angry at your creation? He says, verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord, was your anger against the rivers or your indignation? against the sea. He comes riding on horses with a chariot of salvation. He is coming and none of his creation can stand in his way. But he comes and when he comes it is as though a, he's coming with a military conquest. Notice what he says Verse 9, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The, the the mountains are writhing. The waters are sweeping. The deep is exclaiming. And as those arrows of the Lord fly in their speed and ferocity, the sun and the moon stand and their place. The flash of his glittering spear His coming to conquer. And he comes in fury. You marched through the earth in fury. Intense wrath and anger. You threshed the nations in anger. Kids, threshing, you may not know that word. Threshing is a farming term. They would gather, they would go collect all the the plants that they were harvesting. They would lay them down on the ground and then they would have a threshing sledge, basically a big piece of wood with sharp rocks or blades on them. And they would put this threshing sledge on the plants and they, they some, either a person or an animal would pull it and it would tear apart these... Plants that they had harvested. What he's saying is that the Lord is tearing apart, threshing the nations in anger. He's angry. And he's coming to fight. And it's not for no reason. This isn't a capricious or arbitrary anger. He's coming for the salvation of his people. Says verse. 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. He knows that his people are afflicted. His people are oppressed. They're harmed. And he hears their cries. He sees their oppression. And he is, his holy wrath is aroused. And he comes to deliver his people. it comes to for the salvation of his people and his anointed and he is victorious you crushed the head of the house of the wicked laying him bare from thigh to neck you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors and you trampled the sea with horses the surging of the mighty waters this last phrase he the prophet is even ascribing the parting of the Red Sea to this military conquest as though the Lord is trampling the sea itself and that is causing the parting of the sea. The, the surging of mighty waters could also be translated the piling up of the waters, which is the, what Moses, how Moses describes the parting of the Red Sea, that the waters piled up. God himself is victoriously leading his people to victory. The prophet remembers all these things he recounts the furious deliverance of our God and his response is fear. He said in verse 2 your work your work O Lord do I fear and here we see it more clearly in verse 16 I hear and my body trembles my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters my bones and my legs tremble beneath me. Why do you think that he's afraid at this point? He knows that God had come to deliver his people. He knew that God was victorious in delivering his people. And he's just remembering something that happened in the past. He's connecting it with what God has said about the coming Babylonian invasion. He's recounting the fact that God will come with fierceness to defeat the wicked. I think there's perhaps three things that's going on in his mind that causes him to fear. The first is he remembers that the Babylonians are coming to discipline God's people. It was... Because of their wickedness, that God was going was raising up the Babylonians, and it would they would be a fierce and hasty nation. They would bring severe affliction upon God's people. It would be terrible for them. Second, there's something fearful about beholding God in all of his wrath. And that's what he's doing in the first part of this psalm. He is remembering the fierce indignation of the Lord against wickedness. Even the fierce love of God to rescue his people. And if you can consider what God has said about himself in his majestic holiness and his fierce anger and not tremble. And beloved, you're not paying attention because all who have seen it have been undone. The prophet Isaiah said, woe is me. I am ruined for I have seen the Lord in his holiness. And that's not even when God is aroused to holy anger to deliver. But I think perhaps the third reason why he's trembling, and perhaps where these things come together for him is not knowing what will happen to God's people. They were the wicked that he was that Habakkuk was asking. The lord to do something about and god is coming in his fury and in his wrath and he is wondering will god's people live by faith will they will the righteous will they be righteous and live by faith or will they remain in wickedness and be swept up with the wicked And beloved, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God is holy and just. And his steadfast love endures forever. But we must live before him with holiness and justice. His judgments are terrible. We cannot, cannot afford to treat God as though He is slight or that he has no concern about wickedness. And there all of God's word is breathed out by him and is useful for us and we run a risk when we feed ourselves with an appetite of only the New Testament. We understand rightly that God is love. But we may not understand the fullness of what that love is. Scripture also declares, Psalm 7 says, Our our God is a righteous judge, a God who feels indignation every day. He has a hatred for sin, a holy and righteous indignation towards sin, towards your sin, beloved towards my sin our sin harms us it harms others we harm others through it through it we dishonor our god and it dishonors the world in which he is created it affects all of our existence and god's holy wrath is aroused to deal with it. And he takes action. He takes personal action. Notice that it is not the Lord sending someone. He himself is going. He himself is marching through the wilderness to rescue his people. And in fact, if you read through the pages of the Old Testament, when it speaks of the Lord visiting people, that can either be a glorious visit of salvation or it can be a terrible visit of judgment. Which is what is so remarkable, beloved, about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came not in wrath, or power, or fear, or terror, or fury, but in gentleness and in meekness. He came born as an infant, To a young virgin girl in the midst of a poor family, in the midst of a poor town. And if you remember when Mary heard about it, she sang. She sang of, of God's power and strength and victory. It was a victory song. The the Magnificat is what it's called. And, And hear what she says, how she sings. She said, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty And if you remember, Habakkuk had begun his prayer by saying, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And she prays, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Jesus came as God remembered mercy in the midst of his wrath. But know this for certain, Jesus came because of God's indignation towards sin. He came to endure this life, to become like us so that our sins, our wickedness could be placed on him so that he could face the outpoured wrath of God on the cross so that in him, God could thresh the nations in his wrath and his fury. And beloved, Jesus Christ did that for us, and he did it by faith. He did it by faith. He is the one who, in the garden, his body trembled. His lips quivered at the sound as he cried out, Father, in wrath, remember mercy. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. Rottenness entered his bones, his legs trembled as he shed tears of blood, knowing that God's outpoured, unchecked, unmeasured wrath would be on him. But he did it by faith because he clung to the hope of God's promises to him. And Habakkuk does the same thing. He hears these things and he looks beyond this coming judgment to the promise of salvation he says, I hear my body trembles, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade me. Quietly wait for the trouble to come upon those who invade. The invaders are coming, yet I'll wait for the trouble to come upon them. The Lord Jesus Christ did the same thing for you and me, beloved. He was like a lamb before the shears, who was silent. He didn't open his mouth. He, he willingly was laid in a tomb, silent in the grave. And he did so because God had promised. And he clung to the promise, you will not let your Holy One see decay. I will seat you at my right hand until my, your enemies are made a footstool for your feet. And Habakkuk clung to that same promise, trouble will come upon the people who invade us beloved we too must quietly wait god has promised to us the surety of our salvation the surety of glory in his presence forever and ever and but he's also promised trouble anyone who desires to live a righteous life will be persecuted but he's promised trouble for the troublers he's promised judgment Upon the wicked, his holy wrath is aroused by those who trouble you. Know that he is not deaf to your cries. He is not blind to what has happened to you. He sees, he hates, and he is coming to do something about it. And we can see that in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we can cling to the hope that he will do it once and for all at the end of days. And so quietly wait for that day. Can you trust that God will do what he has said? Can you quietly wait? Notice that this is the complaining prophet, the one who contended with the Lord, who now says, I will quietly wait. I will quietly wait. One of the Psalms says, I have calmed and quieted my soul before the Lord like like a weaned child before his mother. Like a weaned child before its mother is my soul before you. And you rest with that confidence in the tender love of your God who has promised to come and save you. Teach your heart to rest. So we we ought to quietly wait, but also loudly rejoice. And that's what he he says in 17 to 19. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit on the vines, nor produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. This was a agrarian society, a farming society. He's saying, if everything be gone, all my money, all my hope of material provision be gone. He says, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Beloved, if you can say that God is the God of your salvation, God is God of my salvation, then you have every reason to rejoice. You have every reason to hope, every reason to trust. We can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we can fear no evil because he will be with us. He will guard us. He will come to deliver us. He has promised and sworn by himself that he will do it. And he has given his own son as proof and as the final bringer of that, that glorious gift. We must rejoice. And he is our strength God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. Beloved, this is our, this is our only hope. Our only hope is that we are his, that we can say he is my God. And He is only our God in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus has said, I am coming again, but this time not in meekness and gentleness, but in fury and in judgment. And that day that he comes will be a glorious day for those who are awaiting him. And it will be a terrible day for those who refuse him. And that day is written and sure it is certain and it will happen. But for you beloved, will that be a day of rejoicing or will that be a day of great fear? Will that be a day the day of your salvation or will that be the day of your judgment? And the difference beloved is are do you live by faith in Jesus Christ. Is your hope Christ and Christ alone for salvation? Habakkuk told us, the righteous shall live by faith, which means by faith in Jesus Christ, we are made righteous and we will live in it. And those who live in it, in the righteousness of Christ we'll live forever and ever we are his forever and ever that is the distinction between god's people and those who are will be swept up with the wicked living by faith means trusting in him full in christ fully for what he has done for us but it means also means walking in holiness and justice and righteousness it means putting to death the sins in our hearts, those sins for which Christ died, and walking in the righteousness and holiness in which he lives. It means in whatever sphere of influence God has put you, that you will bear fruit, you will live with salt and light, you will work holiness and justice and righteousness in whatever sphere that that is. And let God work through you in that place. You will never fully see righteousness or justice on this side of glory until Christ comes again. And yet it means that we ought to hunger for it and thirst for that righteousness. We won't see that righteousness in our own hearts or in the world that we're in, but Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he will be satisfied. We will see it, and we must quietly wait for it, because our God is coming. The Lord taught Moses a song of rejoicing at the deliverance of God's people in Egypt. The Lord taught Habakkuk, this song of hope in the coming victory of our god the lord taught gave mary a song of victory when christ was born into this world and he's given us he's already written the song that we will sing beloved that you and i will sing in glory and it's there in revelation chapter 19 and as the rivers Habakkuk spoke of the rivers giving up their voice, the deep giving up their voice. Hear what John writes in Revelation. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Beloved, our God is coming. And he's coming to save. And we will sing in glory. We will sing a song of victory forever and ever. And we can sing that song now because it is sure and true. Our God has promised. Put your hope in him so that when he comes, you will be found ready for his appearance. And come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you will save us for yourself. That Forgive us for forgetting that you're coming. Forgive us for doubting that you hear and that you see us in the midst of our oppression and affliction and our struggles and our fights about even the sin in our own hearts. Lord, thank you that you have loved us With this intense and pure love, the love of a bridegroom for his bride, thank you that you are jealous for us and that you will save us. Help us to cling by faith each and every day in your coming salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.